Hey everyone, welcome to Comedy History 101. This is Harmon, and today we have part one of a very special two-part episode on the history of Richard Pryor, the Black Panthers, and Berkeley, California. Yes, it's kind of the Richard Pryor origin story where during a short period of time, he moved to Berkeley, California and found his true comedy voice. But before we jump into the episode, quick plug, next Thursday, November 19th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, I will be presenting my show, Jokey Stand-Up Comedy Karaoke, in a three-round game show. You can check it out on twitch.tv slash comedyhistory101. Also, if you like or even love Comedy History 101, become one of our supporters. Yes, you can support the podcast on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash ch101. That's right, we want to keep the podcast completely ad-free. Yes, no ads for Stamps.com or Casper Mattresses. We want to be completely ad-free, so take some time and support us on Patreon. Also, check out our website, ComedyHistory101.com, and leave a comment and subscribe to the podcast. And now, without further ado... Good thing about doing comedy in Russia, you have captured the audience. Comedy History 101. Richard's in the midst of all this. It's impossible to be there and not be touched by these things. He meets Huey P. Newton, head of the Black Panther Party. Richard talks about reading the autobiography of Malcolm X and how much that influenced him. You couldn't separate Richard from the times. I think what Richard experienced was in some ways akin to like a a spiritual conversion. Yes, what you heard there was a clip from a PBS series on Richard Pryor talking about his time living in Berkeley, California, in which he found his voice. And yes, you've tuned into another episode of Comedy History 101. Where we school you in comedy. I am Harmon Leon. With me is, yes, Scott Kalonico. Scott, when you think of Berkeley in the late 60s, early 70s, what comes to mind? Power to the people, Harmon. Right on. What, what, what was going on? What was going on in, in, in the Berkeley in the late was was it pretty peaceful? No turmoil. No, people Kids were just fighting went to class. The, man, Harmon, the establishment. And my, my dad was going to college, and that that too. There. In Berkeley. Yeah, he went to he went to Berkeley. Oh, what was 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 he out there with his shoulder length hair, toting no, there, a <laughs> sign? No war. No, no. This is like right before right right before all this started. Right before all this went down. Oh wow, wow, that's that's yeah. interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, there you go. But if he were there between the years of nineteen sixty nine and nineteen seventy one, he might have ran into a Richard Pryor on University Avenue in Berkeley because that is where Richard Pryor landed after 
kind of a pretty successful career as a mainstream comedian, but landed there and actually found his true comedy voice. Hanging out with the intellectuals of the day, hanging out with the Black Panthers, hanging out with the counterculture movement. Uh, we, and, and Scott, we have talked about uh, the Richard Pryor in the past here on the Comedy History 101. Pryor's place. <laughs> That's what. Yeah, tell, tell us just once again. That was a that was a uh, a, a, a mid eighties uh, carnation. Tell us what Pryor's place was. So that was uh, Richard Pryor's TV show that was done by Sid and Martin Sid and Marty Croft, uh, producers of the nineteen uh, seventies crazy puppet shows. But yeah, it was kind of his version of Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah, and that, and we also talked about Richard Pryor in our history of Laugh Records because, again, the 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 era of Richard Pryor, which we're going to focus on today, um, Laugh Records, his career launched uh, right after that, and it was really because of his time in Berkeley that he found his voice and became the Richard Pryor, which is known in comedy legend history. Agreed. Here, here says Scott. <laughs> so let's 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 go a little farther back and just like we'll briefly touch on the the career of Richard Pryor. How did how did Richard Pryor start in comedy? Uh, well, Harmon, he started back. Um, he started actually because uh, he grew up in Peoria. He started doing comedy out uh, around the Illinois area, kind of just in small clubs. And uh, he eventually went on to the Chitlin circuit, as was known back in the day. Uh, but after he'd like cut his chops for a while, he eventually moved up to uh, New York City uh, around 1963. And that's where he started performing in the big clubs, or the big small clubs, I guess you would say, alongside uh, people like Bob Dylan, Woody Allen, George Carlin, Letty Bruce, and many more, and Nina Simone. Yeah, Nina Simone, he actually opened for her, and she recalls he was so nervous, had such performance anxiety that his hands shook like he had malaria, according to her. And mm-hmm. she said, I couldn't bear to watch him shiver, so I put my arm around him in the dark and rocked him like a baby until he calmed down. The next night yeah. was the same, and the next, I rocked him each time, said Nina Simone. Yeah, that was nice of her. They so what, little... what would you say Richard Pryor's comedy was like at the time? I mean, now we know him, you know, such great characters as Mudbone, Mudbone. and, you know, the town wino and kind of just hold no bar Richard Pryor. But what was mm-hmm. his comedy like and who was he inspired by? Uh, it was pretty mainstream. He did, uh, he, you know, cause he was appearing on places like, uh, on the uh, Merv Griffith show and, uh, tonight show and, um, uh, Ed Sullivan. He was on the, those types of shows and he did like, he loved the physical comedy of Sid Caesar and Jerry Lewis and his act you can, you can find these on YouTube or you can go over our, our webpage at comedyhistory101.com. You can see some clips of early Richard Pryor we'll put up there. It was all kind of like, he was talking about how to, uh, the one clip I saw is talking about how to deal with bad breath and, and how to light cigarettes for ladies across the room. Just kind of, you know, standard kind of 60s humor. When I get self-conscious, there's a voice in the back of my head that says, How's your breath? <laughs> you know, right? I get crazy, you know. Because uh, there's nothing worse than walking up to a lady saying, Hi! <laughs> she says, No. 
and, and then right away you want to do something, you try to check yourselves out. You can tell when guys are worried. You ever see a guy, hi Fred, how you doing? <laughs> and, and guys try to be cool when they go, you know, you ever see guys this? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and again, this always seems really, uh, creepy to say in modern context uh he was very inspired by bill cosby <laughs> in comedy just comedy wise he was inspired by bill cosby um yeah i mean it was pretty funny it was very physical you know but there was really nothing you know outstanding about it other than you know great physical comedian and like you just mentioned scott he was on Ed Sullivan, which was the biggest show of the time, and Merv Griffin, I guess, was Merv huge in the 60s? Merv Griffin was pretty big. Yeah, of course. He was really big. Yeah, and then he did, and then he did game shows. That's right. Was, didn't he create Wheel of Fortune? I think he did. Yep, I think, I think so. Merv Griffin Productions. We'll have to do a whole uh, episode about Pat Sajak. I always, I always think of like Merv Griffin. I always think of like uh, SCTV. Like I think it was Rick Moranis. Oh, oh Dude, yeah, yeah. We do ooh, like the yeah, ooh, yeah, yeah. Ooh, ooh, we'll be right back. Yeah. Ooh. yeah. So, so what did that land him? Is like uh, performing, kind of like as a you know second rung Bill Cosby esque comedian. Um, you know, being on Ed Sullivan, being on Merv Griffin. In, in, in 1967, where, where, where did that land a 27-year-old Richard Pryor? Uh, he was big. He was actually doing clubs in Vegas, you know, which is about as big as you could get. Um, he was doing uh, clubs on the Strip down there. and uh, But at the same time, he was also doing a lot of cocaine, Harmon. Yeah, yeah, so that, again, that was sort of a, a sad consistency throughout uh richard Pryor's life was just uh heavily into drugs up until the point like the cocaine he, yes yeah yeah he, he lit himself on fire while freebasing which is uh, mm-hmm. uh which led to uh, uh ironically to Pryor's place which he mentioned up front actually no the story i think we went over the story he didn't really he didn't light himself on fire Freebasing. I'm trying to remember. I can't remember the exact story, but that's the story that you tell, but it's wrong. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So there were uh, him and a friend were. I think it was his bodyguard were watching a documentary on Vietnam about the 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 monk, the Buddhist monk who lit himself on fire, and then shortly after, uh, (laughs) he's starring on Pryor's place. Yeah, yeah. There you go. (laughs) I spun. I spun the story to a happier ending. Yeah, okay, there you go. That, that was good. Uh, but yeah, in 1967, when he was performing in, on Las Vegas, and also, actually at the time, the uh, some of the casinos were still segregated in Las Vegas back then, even in 1967. Uh, he, prior, was out there, uh, walked on stage before a sold-out crowd that included some members of the Rat Pack that were there in 1967. He walked out on stage, just kind of froze, blurted out what the fuck am i doing here you can bleep that out if you need to and then walked right <laughs> off stage yeah so he was actually he was at the aladdin hotel opening for bobby darren what was his ah, hit yes splish splash, splash. Was oh yeah so yeah so imagine the sea. oh yeah 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 um oh yeah. kevin spacey made a movie about that's him. right uh, kevin spacey did yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's pretty much as white American as you can get opening, uh, uh, at a segregated casino on the Las Vegas strip opening for Mr. Splish Splash, 
the audience is all white people, the Rat Pack's in attendance, and Richard Pryor already abusing a lot of cocaine, uh, described at the time having a a walking nervous breakdown when when, when he took to the stage and just looked out at this white crowd. Um, He believed like the comedy uh, he was doing at the time was just, you know, kind of just to appease, you know, the white audience. And yeah, he just walked off and was told he would never work again. And never walk in this town again. Never work in this town. The club gigs dried up. And also, as mentioned, with the drying up the club gigs, he was also doing a lot of drugs. <laughs> yeah, a lot of cocaine. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, as uh, Rick Rick James would say. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, so the, what, what happened like the year afterwards? You, uh, you mentioned here uh, in 1968. Wild in the streets. So but this is a weird time for Pryor because he's kind of like he 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 I, he's visiting Berkeley and I don't think he hasn't moved yet, but he's like kind of becoming aware and he's just becoming more politically aware. Um, yeah, I guess he must be making trips up there because he hasn't moved up there yet. Um, so he he's living this weird double life of. Uh, of uh, going to Berkeley, just like becoming more politically aware, and then at the same time still trying to do, still doing major kind of TV bit parts and everything. Like he was, he's in this film called um, Wild in the Streets that come out comes out in 1968, where he, he plays Stanley X, which yeah. is a, a odd uh, kind of call nod to his Black Panther friends. Oh, Malcolm X. And uh, yeah, yeah, and that was about a president who becomes 25, and he just a president who's 25 years old and uh, the kids run the country and basically they make everybody take LSD. So it's, kind of, it's one oh, of those man, weird is, is, 60s that, is that a good movies. movie or is it one of oh, those? Yeah, like... it's awesome. It's, it's one of those weird 60s movies. Wow, Wild in the Streets. I, I think I want to check that out. Oh yeah, check it out. Definitely. And uh, who, he plays who did the drummer. Star? Who did it star? Um, there, I can't remember the dude. No, but like, uh, what's her name? Shelley Winters is in it. <laughs> she plays somebody's mom. She goes on an LSD trip. Hal Holbrook is in it. Um, and Duh. Richard Pryor, Pryor plays the drummer. So the reason the guy becomes president because he's he's in a big uh, rock and roll band. So he's yeah. like the first rock and roll president. president. And then Richard Richard Pryor is his drummer. So that oh, was wow. filmed, that movie was actually filmed in 67 that came out in 68. So, you know, that's like kind of about the same time when all this other stuff is going on. So it's kind of interesting to see. Oh, that. man, that, that's um, OK. I know we this is one of our catchphrases. That seems like oh, that's a whole other episode. But there's that whole genre of 60s movies like um, Peter Sellers. Thank you, Alice B. Toklas. Oh, yeah, dude. The, 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 <laughs> the wacky 60s movies. I mean, that one, the, the one with the party, although it's very politically correct now. Cause yeah. <laughs> Peter Sellers plays the Indian guy, and, and no, but 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 in LSB Toklas said the premise of that he's like a square, 
like yeah. I think advertising he's a executive. Lawyer. He's yeah, a lawyer. who drops accidentally drops acid yeah. and all things change. So yeah. so kind of like Wild in the Streets seems like Oh that. no, it's, no that, that that one's great. Directed by Paul Mazursky. And <laughs> they just I remember after he turns uh after they turn Mondo, after he gets turned on to L S D, they're gonna go see a movie called Mondo Teeth. <laughs> yeah. It's a film about teeth where they just film teeth. Ah, okay, which is a, a <laughs> nod to Andy Warhol sleep. Yeah, Probably. exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, I I'm putting Wild in the Streets on my weekend yeah. playlist, so I think. Oh yeah, definitely. And we get Richard Pryor playing a drummer. So yeah, so already he's he's sort of counterculture, and already he's he's taken trips up to uh, Berkeley, which I think was one of the reasons why in February 1971 he moved to Berkeley because. I believe he already had like kind of like a counterculture, you know, following, even though he was, you know, known as, well, okay, this was two years after. Yeah, it's it's weird because you can't really, they don't really, so all they have is is the, how do you say that, apocryphal, apocryphal, you know, the, uh, this is the, the famous story about how he moved. As that, yeah, Pryor didn't move until February of 1971. He was at the his Sunset Towers high rise, you know, mm-hmm. down on Sunset Strip in L.A. And a quake hit. It was as a six point six on the six point six down the Richter scale, and this quake hit. And he woke up <laughs> and uh, put on a uh, grabbed a bottle of whiskey and a samurai sword, and apparently he must have put on a robe or something. And he just started walking up and down the Sunset Strip, and he said, "Yeah, it was time for him to go." So that's when. He yeah. said, "I'm getting out of here." Yeah, or in his words, "I'm I'm ready to leave the Valley of the Damned." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and he actually got a ride. So it, it's weird. It, it, it's some sources say Paul Mooney, but then I was reading it was in that his friend Alan Alan Farley. Yeah, yeah, and he's a really interesting uh, character. Tell us a little bit about uh, Alan Farley. Uh, he was a radio employee of the station KPFA up there in Berkeley. Yeah, and also, so he's, KPFA, he's, he's a well white familiar with it. It's like the student radio station um, okay, yeah. that's still going to this day. Really? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. we listened to some stuff on there. Uh, he lived at a small house at 1505 Berkeley Way. And so um, he was a mathematician turned radio producer. He had a degree from Caltech. Yeah, and he'd come from chairing... Yeah, he came from chairing the math department at Morehouse, which is yeah. a historically black college in Atlanta. Um, and he had a bunch of uh, recording equipment, and he had a show on uh, KPFA. So that was um, pretty uh, pretty handy for Pryor. Yeah, so again, uh, Alan Farley had a, a huge influence on Richard Pryor's comedy because, again, like you said, he, he had a show at KPFA, and he would let Pryor come in and you know, just record segments. Like they did a parody, not a, a not a parody, uh, more like these, a satire of the Attica. I don't even know if satire is the word, but um, they, they did a show about the Attica uprising where they would do a collage of uh, uh, audio clips, you know, kind of just, you know, similar to what uh, you see in your current, uh, you know, mouthing Trump <laughs> type videos that right. we've talked about TikTok. before TikTok but uh videos, you yeah. know they very experimental very 60s uprising how mr oswald would you handle a situation if there were an attica tomorrow <clears throat> i don't know i don't know i don't know i really truly really don't know it would be easy it would be easy it would be easy 
you know, very playing the media. And, you know, Pryor would always come on Alan's show because he had, you know, tons of recording equipment at home at, at his Berkeley house. And, you know, they became roommates. And I read Alan Farley's um, obituary in the SF Gate, which you think, you know, that's the San Francisco paper. And, you know, Alan Farley is a Berkeley guy that they would go into his relationship with, with Pryor. But all it said was, he he did a stint for a while as Richard Pryor's road manager. That's pretty much all they said on his Richard Pryor um, connection. But he was so much more than that. Yeah, it's odd. He's kind of one of those weird people, kind of not weird people, but he's, it's one of those weird connections lost to history. There's not really, there's not too much. It's not there's not really any uh, inkling or or how they actually became friends in the first place, and how basically the way Farley convinced. Um, prior to move to to uh, oh. Berkeley, is because Farley yeah. had an extra extra couch. Actually, Far, Farley slept on the couch, and I guess he gave uh, the bed to Richard Pryor. No, no, no. How yeah. they connected was after a show in L.A. You'll appreciate this, Scott. Uh, he bonded with Richard over their admiration for what type of humor? Edgy, Edgy oh, humor. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and uh. their commitment to. Uh, alternative um, media. So again, um, Richard, you know, had a big following in Berkeley after, you know, his club gigs dried up and just knew, you know, that was one of the places where he could still perform in like San Francisco and Berkeley. So he moved into uh, Alan Farley's apartment um, in Berkeley. Fair, Fair enough. Okay. And that was the beginning of what uh, was described as Pryor's wilderness period where he had gone underground. Mm -hmm. And not only that, not only the radio show, but Pryor and Farley collaborated on a screenplay of a short anti-war film that never got produced, but uh, ended up being published in the satirical magazine The Realist, which was published Mm -hmm. by Paul Krasner. Do you know anything about Paul Krasner? Mm, I've heard of the real. I know it was a big influential magazine out there in Berkeley, but other than me saying that, I don't know. He he was one of the yippies along with Abby Hoffman, uh, ah, who okay. we have talked about a couple episodes ago on the new uh, Aaron Sorkin movie, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, which uh, uh, actually around- I watched. Yeah, it was good. So what? Who who did he meet in while well, while he was in Berkeley? Um, that that really influenced his his comedy. Oh, Harmon, it's more like who who didn't he meet back then? See, uh, the the uh, the black. Uh, let's go into a little bit of history there. Um, the Black Panthers were formed in uh, Berkeley, uh, in the Oakland, Berkeley, and Oakland, in the East Bay, uh, back in 1966 by Huey Newton and Bobby Seale, uh, partly in response to police br- brutality. Uh, they were kind of, you know, they were about. Of course, they were about political protest, but they were also about community service. They ran this. Uh, they ran this hugely yeah. successful breakfast program that served thousands of Oakland's disadvantaged children. Actually, that, that program got so big, I think it started to scare the, the state, the state government after a while. Yeah, and there's another thing about, because we did a video a while back on the Black Panthers. Um, California used to be like an open carry like uh, right. um, yeah. state. And so the Black Panthers went, okay, you're an open carry state. We're going to open carry guns and patrol our neighborhoods because we believe, and not only believe, but we have seen it happen that there is a lot of 
police brutality amongst our community. So we are just mm-hmm. going to, yep. they were kind of like the, um, kind of like the YouTube of the time to make sure that the police weren't, uh, you know, beating people up, which to this day, sadly, they still are. But at the time, the Black Panthers were patrolling the neighborhood, just trying to keep the police in check. Yeah, and then they had the that whole famous thing where they actually went to because you could legally carry weapons yeah, in California yeah, yeah, at the time. Or they, yeah, they marched on the uh, state uh, capital in Sacramento <laughs> carrying shotguns. And who was who was the governor yeah. at the time? Oh, a, a, a gentleman by the name of Ronald Reagan. Well, well, yeah, well, well. <laughs> that's my Reagan. Oh, yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So again, they actually. That was like a first where they actually repealed NRA rights. Yeah. <laughs> they said, okay, that was, that was a little too much rights. Well, I was up there in Berkeley prior, met with such uh, Black Panther Party leaders such as Huey P. Newton, Bobby Seale, Angela Davis, and then some writers and literate, the literati, such as Cecil Brown, Ishmael Reed, Claude Brown, Al Young, Eldridge, and, and Eldridge Cleaver. Yeah, what, what was his book again? It's like something in Ice or something like that? Eldridge Cleaver? Oh, yeah, something about Ice, yeah. Something well, like that. But not Ice Tea. But not Ice Tea. No, no. And not Iceberg no. Slim. No, no. Story Slim, of My man. Life. Do you ever read that yeah, book? Man. Pimp. Oh, yeah. A pimp. Oh, uh, Soul on Ice. Yeah. Soul on Ice. Yeah. And, and again, just another tie to uh, the, the trial of Chicago 7 um, that also focused on Bobby Seale being arrested in Chicago, which he had no connection to. Uh, the, the the riots that were instigated by the police. So mm-hmm. he plays like a big role in that movie. Um, but he, like Richard Pryor said, like, you know, meeting, you know, Black Panthers, you know, Huey, Huey Newton, Angela Davis, Bobby Seale was part that gave him the confidence to work in front of a microphone and talking about, uh, you know, topics that matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not just um, bad breath and uh, lighting cigarettes across the room. <laughs> Those are funny bits, though. I mean, they're funny as, not, a, not, as a piece of comedy history. Yeah, but it, but it didn't give Richard Pryor the voice that became the legendary Richard Pryor. And mm-hmm. Richard yeah. Pryor, you know, as as mentioned in the clip up front, he admired the honesty of Malcolm X, uh, you know, to address a crowd and 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 give his feelings of what it's like to be uh, black in America, which. Again, you know, transferred to what he started doing on stage. It's a bitch when you have learned how to act to police when you get arrested. I always get, because I'm a coward anyway, so I always get, I take the time route. Get very timey when the police come. Hi, Mr. Officer, can I help you search myself? (laughs) I don't have anything on me, but uh, be glad to go downtown and wait for you. I never could talk back to the police. It scared the shit out of me. I wasn't. I didn't. I couldn't take them hits upside the head. Some dudes could handle that shit. You know, please. Pimp, uh, motherfucker. Yeah, ping. Yeah, motherfucker. You know, I never could handle that. Motherfucker, draw back at me. Uh, uh, uh. 
Yeah, so he, he got down to brass tacks. He got back down to the bare minimum. So Pryor set himself up in $110 a month. That still seems kind of expensive for even back yeah, then. Yeah, I was trying to do that. I was starting to like, okay, that's kind of expensive because, yeah. I know. We'll, we'll go into I'll, I'll figure it out while, we, while you go on. So at $110 Maybe it's 110 in today's money. And then in the way he, back, he, calculator was just like $30. He, he, furnished, he furnished his apartment with little else than a bare mattress, portable TV, record player, a few books, a typewriter, and a tape recorder. He was just he was there to focus on his craft, Harmon. I'll find out how much $110 is worth. You keep going. Yeah, and one of, one of his friends at the time was Cecil Brown, uh, who also later wrote a book about Richard Pryor. Uh, he was teaching English at Berkeley and he said that Richard realized that he had another culture that was deeply embedded in the black tradition of storytelling. At the time, Cecil Brown was teaching, you know, such authors as Zora Neale Hurston and Langston Hughes. And Cecil Brown said, and so I would tell him, Richard, man, you know, the stuff you're doing is what black people have been doing, like the poets for generations. I agree. Um, no, I'm just amazed. I'm, I'm, I'm figuring out my $110. <laughs> yeah, you so it's like saying $110 in 1971 is worth, uh, would be worth $700 today in 2020. Okay, then that's just, you know. So it was, it was a pretty old, it was bare minimum, bare minimum of his apartment. Yeah. And, oh, well, yeah. yeah, now those apartments in Berkeley just go boom yeah, through the roof. Even, yeah, <laughs> yeah we, won't, we, won't, we won't even talk about it. Now he could rent his closet out for $110 a month. Yeah, but the apartment and his minimalist kind of Buddhist furnishings kind of reflected his intense focus on his craft. And we'll get into Richard Pryor's first gigs in Berkeley in our next episode, which will wrap up nicely with a typo about basically the Richard Pryor origin story. And with that, it's time to plug away. Scott, what do you have to plug? Well, Harmon, as our listeners probably know from me plugging this all the time, uh, I have another podcast and a YouTube channel called This is a President, where I go into all things presidential. Uh, we just put up an episode, Harmon, about Gerald Ford and the swine flu. It's actually pretty interesting, the parallels going on back in this. Do you remember the swine flu epidemic of 1976, Harmon? Well, I have a question, first of all. Did Gerald Ford, when there was a swine flu... Did did he of the day complain about what the equivalent of Fox News's ratings are, rather than know. focus on the swine flu? <laughs> no, no, I think because we currently a, got a guy doing that. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually kind of a crazy story. You go over to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash this is the president to see all that. We also have a podcast with that, and Harmon sometimes is my guest on that as well. And you can find that wherever you find your favorite podcast, such as Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, and Last. FM as well, Spotify as well. So uh, that's it. Yeah, this is the president. Go by, stop by, subscribe, drop us a line, comment. Thank you. Yeah, and for me, next Thursday, November 19th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, I will be doing my show, Jokey Okey, stand up comedy karaoke in a three round game show. You can check it out on our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash comedy history 101. All I can say about the show is America loves Jokey And as always, take some time to like, subscribe, and comment on Comedy History 101, wherever you get your podcasts. 
be it Stitcher or Spotify or Apple or whatnot, or on our site, ComedyHistory101.com. Also, 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 friends, if you like or even love Comedy History 101, become one of our supporters. Yes, we try to make this podcast ad-free, but we need your support. So please support us on patreon.com slash ch101 for the cost of a cup of coffee if we get all our 100,000 listeners just to donate a dollar a month, we will keep our podcast ad-free. Because, Scott, the thing, do, do the people want to hear about Stamps.com in the middle of their no, podcast? No, they don't. And they don't want to hear about beds or Casper mattresses. And the thing is, Harmon, they could give more than a dollar if they wanted to. They don't have to. They could give us a dollar. But if they wanted to give 5 or $10 even a month, it just comes out automatically of your account. It's just like, it's like paying us, and you get all sorts of uh, incredible extras. Yet yeah. to be determined. So just to tease that, we have an upcoming extra on a political podcast, uh, uh, which is a spinoff of the podcast, This is the President, and that will be a feature upcoming for subscribers only. Only. And with that, thanks a lot for tuning in, and we'll see you next time, and bye-bye. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Good thing about doing comedy in Russia, you have captured audience. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Comedy History 101.